Welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. A little later in the show, we're going to talk about unexpected candidates, candidates who don't have a lot of political experience, candidates who maybe don't seem to be all that great a fit for the office they want to occupy, and how often those candidates seem to be winning. Is this a new chapter in American political history, or is this something that's been going on for a really long time? Of course, Donald Trump is the most immediate example we have of that, somebody who was uh, a businessman and a reality TV star who decides he wants to be and should be the president of the United States, but we've seen it before. Of course, Michael Bloomberg was the mayor of New York. Rick Snyder is the governor of Michigan. Neither of them had any political experience before they did those jobs. So we're going to talk about that with Mark Crewman, an American history professor and director of the Center for the Study of Citizenship at Wayne State University. And then we're going to talk with Adrian Hemond, who is a CEO at Grassroots Midwest, a political and bipartisan consulting firm. They have really different perspectives on this uh, phenomenon. But first today, we want to continue our series of conversations with refugees and immigrants to this country uh, in the wake of the profound immigration changes that President Donald Trump announced a few weeks ago. We are doing this here at WDET because we sit here in the cradle of immigration in this country, in a community that is so heavily influenced by immigrants from other countries, uh, primarily from uh, the Middle East. We have more immigrants from that part of the world than almost any other American city or any other city around the world. Uh, we have more Muslims who live here uh, in Southeast Michigan than most communities do. These are the people who have been targeted by President Trump's changes in immigration policy. And we feel like their stories, their their stories need to be told in the first person uh, in this community. We want to make sure that those voices are heard as the debate over these immigration changes uh, takes place. Uh, so today, uh, we want to talk with uh, Gita Dagger, who left Sierra Leone as a child, came to the United States as a refugee. She works with United Way, but she is here today representing herself, not that institution. Uh, Gita, welcome to Detroit Today. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. I'm excited to be here. Yeah. Um, uh, you, you have a very, very interesting uh, immigration story. Uh, just walk us first through uh, what your life looked like uh, when you were uh, a child and sort of how you came to be uh, in this country. Sure. So my parents are both of Lebanese descent. Um, I was actually born and raised in Sierra Leone for the first few years of my life. Uh, obviously, there has been a lot of turmoil in different parts of the country, in different parts of the world. And Sierra Leone has been a victim of that, specifically civil war. Mm -hmm. And so uh, in the 1990s, late 1990s, my family fled. Uh, we came to, to the U.S. and to Dearborn specifically, mostly because we knew it had a large Arab American population. Uh -huh. Um, and the funny piece is that I come from a line of immigrants, right? So I'm not the first generation immigrant. My parents were also immigrants from Lebanon to Sierra to Leone. Sierra Leone right? um, my grandfather on my mother's side moved to Sierra Leone when he was in his early teens or mid-teens for economic opportunity. 
My dad fled Lebanon during the Civil War for, for educational opportunities and also economic opportunities. So, you know, one way or another, uh, whether you're first generation or multi-generational, we kind of all end up here. Yeah. Uh, talk about your immigration to the United States. Mm-hmm. Uh, your parents came here seeking asylum. Yeah. Uh, what was that? What was that? Process so the Civil like? War in Sierra Leone was extremely gruesome. Uh, lots of violence, extremely bloody um, so it was a very long process to actually get out of Sierra Leone. Uh, it's exactly what you would see in the movies and what you hear about is one of those very dramatic stories. Uh, you know, we fled on a cargo ship to get out of the country. Wow. I went to a neighboring country. We were held hostage for 13 hours. There were m- multiple of those sort of uh, stories that you hear about in books and movies. There- and and you uh, you have, uh, how old were you when this, when this happened? Uh, so when I arrived to the U.S., I was nine years old. Okay. So, so you have a clear memory then of very vivid this memory. cargo ship, for instance, oh, yeah. and, and being held hostage. For, for, for what reason? What was the... So we were being held hostage in a hotel that was supposed to be uh, a refuge for everybody that was trying to get out of the country. And the rebels actually attacked the, the, the hotel um, and held everybody hostage. They started bombing it and wouldn't let people leave. We were trapped in a basement and they said, well, you could die this way. Uh, you know, you, you've, you know, you've reaped the benefits of this country. You might as well die this way. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Uh, and so from there, you, you, how, how did you get to the United States? So we got on a cargo ship, went to a neighboring country called Guinea, mm-hmm. uh, which is also in West Africa, yeah. uh, and waited it out there for about three weeks to get our paperwork ready and to make sure that we were coming in legally. And we came in on a visa, on a visitor's visa, because we had family here. Okay. And so when we got here, we applied for asylum. Um, and we went through the process, immigration paperwork, obviously lots of wonderful organizations in the area that support the immigrant community and the refugee community um, financially, uh, economically, socially, in many multiple ways. But after eight years or six years into the process, uh, after having been established here, lived life and been going to schools and developed social relationships and every multitude of that, we got a letter rejecting us for asylum, wow. which was absolutely heartbreaking. This is life as we know it at this point. And and what was the reason for the rejection? So the rejection said that, that Sierra Leone was in good shape again, that we could go back to Sierra Leone. Yeah, in which if you know Sierra Leone and you know the history, the yeah. way it repeats itself sort is that it, it just Always ha- in tumult. Exactly, exactly. And it easily flips in Sierra Leone. Um, so they said that everything's fine. You should be able to go back. Um, and that wasn't the case for us. Um, it was actually the longest I've ever lived in a place. Living in the U.S. was the longest I've ever lived in a place consistently. Uh, for the first few years of living here, I always had an emergency bag packed in case something was to happen. So there's also a psychological piece to it as a child and as a family. Yeah. That, that maybe you have. That maybe you won't be able to stay. Yeah, absolutely. To say that this is life as you know it now. You've been here for a very long time. Now you got to uproot and get out. Um, it, it's the only consistent emotionally, psychologically, socially that we had had for a very long time. Right. This was home. And for my younger brother, who was four when he moved here, this is the only place he's ever known. Uh, so this idea of having to uproot ourselves and go back to Sierra Leone was absolutely mind-blowing for us. And how old were you when that happened? I, I was in freshman year of high school. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So, yeah. I mean, a time of transition anyway. Absolutely. And then perhaps... Uh, your whole world might have been turned upside down. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, yeah you go from this, uh, you know, I want to, uh, con- I'm concerned about making it to volleyball practice on time to <laughs> we're moving to a different country again. Right. You know, it's, 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 it's a different layer. It's a, immigrants and refugees have to bear a different kind of burden. Um, and I think a lot of people miss that. But yeah. I, I like to think that that burden kind of helps us craft our purpose 
And that's to me ultimate liberation of oneself is knowing what your purpose is. Right. So so uh, they say they reject your asylum and and then what happens? Luckily, you know, at that point, obviously, my my family had been working. We've been contributing. Uh, my mom, for a very long time, worked two jobs. Uh, was a parapro and a translator at one point, and also a salesperson at Hudson's. Uh-huh. And my dad was also working very hard as a medical coordinator. And uh, his employer found out about our story and said, after everything, they want you to go back. And he said, I'll sponsor you for a green card. And that became our path to legal residency uh, and permanent residency, excuse me. It was permanent residency and eventually citizenship. Wow. Wow. So, I mean, uh, ultimately, it was that uh, that your dad's boss decides uh, that. Uh, he watched our story unfold. He knew the sacrifices that my parents made. He knew that there were four kids at home. It wasn't, you know, just. Uh, this family that's a statistic. He knew our story. He knew what we were going through. He knew the hell that we had been through to get yeah. here. Um, and he said, not on my watch, not if there's something I could do about it. And he sponsored us. And I'm extremely thankful for him every single day, mostly because I know what the other side looks like. Right. And I know the, the opportunities I would have missed out on. Yeah. Uh, this is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. My guest is Agita Dagger. Uh, she left Sierra Leone as a child, came to the United States uh, as a refugee. She works uh, with United Way here in Southeast Michigan, but she's here today representing herself. She's not representing that institution. She is telling us the story of her journey uh, to become an American. We are collecting these stories right now in the wake of President Donald Trump's uh, radical change of U.S. immigration policy, giving voice to the folks here in Southeast Michigan whose stories uh, are about uh, being refugees or being immigrants to this country. Of course, we are home to a very large population of people from the Middle East. Uh, we are very ho- we're home to a very large population of uh, Muslim citizens here uh, in Southeast Michigan. Uh, the, what President Trump is changing has a different kind of look, a different kind of effect here in Southeast Michigan. And we want to be sure that people here get to tell their stories, that their voices get heard in this entire debate. If you want to call and join the conversation, give us a call at 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put your comments there or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. We'll try to work your comments into the conversation. Uh, Gita, this this happened while you were a child, um, leaving the country that you knew as home, coming to the United States, uh, this this extraordinary journey uh, out of Sierra Leone to, to, to a neighboring country and then here. If you turn on the TV now or look in uh, magazines or newspapers, we're seeing, uh, we're seeing, especially from Syria, Lots of photos and images of children caught up in this, uh, caught up in the war that's happening there, caught up in the process of trying to leave. Uh, I'm thinking specifically here of the the, the picture of the the little boy mm-hmm. dead on the beach that that moved so many people uh, to outrage uh, last year. Um, but I'm I'm curious about when you see these images of children given that that you were once in that uh, in that situation how that how that looks to you so it's it's it, there's two pieces to it one is that my heart goes out to the kids because i know what it feels to be on that side um, and to be the one that's asking for help it's not easy to ask for help mm-hmm. um, especially when it's not always welcomed um, 
most of the times not welcomed. And especially in our atmosphere right now, it's not welcomed. It's seen as a burden onto others. Uh, so I really, my heart goes out to them. The other piece that it's really frustrating that we haven't learned from the history. We haven't learned from our mistakes. And I'm not talking just as a country, but as a world and, and as a society, that these kids, um, like myself, uh, this is happening to them at no fault of their own. Right. You know, these are the consequences of political structures, of systems that are in place that have always been there, whether whether they're around or not. They're just the victims of it. The same goes to their parents, right? And so uh, it's extremely frustrating to watch. Um, and I would hope that folks would kind of just understand that these are human stories rather than statistics. I think that's what it boils down to quite often. Uh, and we tend to sometimes also tokenize those stories. Um, we take those stories and uh, we make them the symbol of these movements. Uh, in my opinion, we don't need to necessarily keep tokenizing one story after another. We should just learn at this point. These are the values that we are built on as a nation. These are the, the values that bind us as a society. The well-being of a kid um, that is whether you know him or not or know her or not is the well-being of all of our children. You never know when you end up in that situation is the thing that I always tell folks. Yeah. You know, yeah. you never know what will happen in your world and you end up being the victim. You end up being the refugee. How did your parents explain the idea that you had to leave Sierra mm -hmm. Leone? Uh, you were nine when this when this happened. What did they say? So there was a sort of a slight built up to that. I could feel tension around us with the adults. When I was in school, um, the kids would say, well, if there was a war that broke out right now, what would we do? And there was sort of this bubbling up conversation of, do we hide under desks? Do we hide in the bathroom? What do we do? And it wasn't like systematically where the teachers had evacuation plans and all that. We didn't have any of that. It was just a little bubbling up of whispers between kids. And I, I, I remember my mom coming into my room that Sunday morning and saying, and usually we go to the beach on Sunday morning. And this was five in the morning. I said, mom, why are we waking up so early? It's too early for the beach. I just want to sleep. And she said, you know, we're not going to the beach today. It's kind of going to be a different kind of day. Um, we're going to go upstairs to your uncle's house and we're going to hide out for a few days and to see what that is. So there was never really an explanation of what was happening. We sort of knew that there was war and that we need to abide to what our parents were saying at the time. Don't go near the windows. Don't, you know, bring attention to the house. You want people to think that there's nobody here. Um, so there, there, there wasn't a lot of explaining. I just knew, uh, my mom said that this is going to be a tough period for us, that we, but we will overcome it. Um, and we have to be patient and we have to work hard, harder than we usually do yeah. um, and be more patient than we usually are. Um, and that there are going to be times when things are going to seem very bleak, but it's OK. We will move forward. Yeah. And, you know, uh, my mom has been the source of light all of my life. Both of my parents have. But my mom's always been, you know, as most mo with, with most mothers, um, their children are sort of everything uh, and everything that they do is for their children. And so my mom uh, kind of just kept us afloat. Uh, so did my dad, obviously, but my mom, had, I would say, it was a big, big piece of them. Yeah. Uh, when when they explain this to you, can, and I, this may be difficult to, to articulate, I suppose, because you were nine, uh, I, I would imagine that it's not just fear that takes over, but um, but a sense of uncertainty and a, a, a sense of sort of shaken faith yeah. in the idea that that uh, that your world would be normal. Uh, and, and I'm trying to sort of get at what, what that would look yeah. like to a nine-year-old. So as a child, I would tell you, when we first arrived, other kids were pretty mean about it. 
they were not very friendly about it. They kept saying, you're the kid that came from Africa because you don't have a home or you're the one that came from this country or did this and didn't have a home. And he really looked to the adults to be the pillars of sanity in these situations. Um, and, the, you know, my teachers were a big piece of that. My teachers were always also guiding us along. Um, it is a very, very, uh, it's a difficult time to be in. And it does carry into your adulthood. Yeah. It definitely does carry into your adulthood. This, this um, feeling of uncertainty mm-hmm. uh, of anything can turn. Um, I was having a conversation with a friend who said that she's never had a passport in her life. To me, that's mind blowing. Right. A passport right. is an absolute necessity at all times. You know, I have my passport that stays at home, but I also always pa- carry a passport card with me until oh. this day as an adult. Is that right? Yeah, there are just things that carry forward with you. It does. There's always this underlying uh, emotion of uh, we are all vulnerable. Right. regardless of where we come from and where we live. And some of us take that for granted, but I would like to think that refugees and immigrants don't because they know. They can't. They can't. We yeah. can't afford to take it for granted. Yeah. Again, 313-577-1019 is the number to join the conversation. 313-577-1019. We are continuing our conversations here on Detroit Today with uh, immigrants and refugees to this country uh, in the wake of President Donald Trump's tremendous change of immigration policy here in the United States. Uh, We want to hear from those folks who are affected, who might have been affected uh, if this had happened years ago, for instance, uh, maybe not have been able to come to this country. Uh, 313-577-1019. Are you an immigrant? Are you a refugee uh, who is here uh, watching all of this unfold now in the wake of uh, Donald Trump's changes to immigration policy. Uh, Give us a call if you want to join the conversation uh, or go to the WDET Facebook page, put your comments there, uh, or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and uh, we will try to work your comments into the conversation. Uh, Gita, you uh, organized uh, the DTW protest after the executive order. Uh, Obviously, you're not a fan. (laughs) That's not a surprise. Uh, But tell me, Tell me what moved you to that kind of action. As a refugee and as an immigrant, there's a sense of responsibility, Uh, a responsibility to carry forward this message of inclusiveness, this message of hopefulness, this message of unity, ultimately all of things that are American in my eyes. Mm -hmm. There's a responsibility to be an American to make sure that all of our rights are protected. And it's absolutely unacceptable, in my opinion, that we're saying that based on a religion or based on a geographic area of this world, that we are going to shut people out. Um, So it was an absolute honor to really be a part of that protest, in my opinion. Um, It came together in less than 24 hours, which is still mind blowing to me. Uh, (laughs) It was was wonderfully put together. Um, I would say, I think there was about 10,000 people that came out. It was the only peaceful protest in the country, um, which says is a huge testament to where we are and to the collaboration that exists. Um, We had law enforcement on our side. You know, the the airport authority was also in cooperation with us. Um, As we were walking out, people were thanking us. Guests that were flying into DTW were thanking us for being there. Uh, and I, it was in collaboration with 30 different organizations in less than 24 hours. That's a, that's a, a testament to the deep roots that the Muslim community has in Detroit. Yes. This is not something that's new. The Muslim faith isn't something that just kind of popped up into Detroit. <laughs> and anybody that knows Detroit knows that. Yeah. You know, we're very much a fabric of, 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 of this area. Yeah. Um, so it was, it was wonderfully put together. Uh, it gave me a lot of hope. And I think it gave a lot of the participants hope 
uh, we walked away feeling invigorated. Uh, we felt hopeful, um, particularly at this this time that feels dark yeah. uh, and cloudy. Uh, it gave us a, a, a ton of hope. We were very happy with it. I, you know, I think uh, I think it's hard for for people, even people who are sympathetic to the idea uh, that that this change will have a, an effect on people in our community. It's it's still hard if you're not a part of that community to really feel what's mm-hmm. different. Um, talk about what feels different today because of what President Trump has said. I'll tell you what what feels different about this one is that we seem to sometimes function in silos in different immigrant communities sometimes in different walks of life in the area in American history we walk in silos and it was great to see the unity that came out for this one uh, it seems that we have kind of had had enough as an American society we are going to move forward and move forward with oneness on this um, and it, it was really liberating and invigorating to see that uh, what's different about this, I think, to me, uh, this sort of ban, is that it's it's very blatant. It's not even covered. Yeah. There's nothing subtle about it, in my opinion. There's not even a way of saying uh, where it's it's not about even about national security. It's really about insecurity. It's about uh, ignorance and arrogance and fear. And and I think people are seeing right through that this time around. And I'm and, and it was beautiful to see people come together and stand up. We were not expecting that sort of turnout at all at these protests. Yeah. We were not expecting the level of diversity that came out for these protests. Uh, you know, I was expecting to see a lot of Muslims, mm-hmm. a lot of Arabs, uh, a lot of Latinos, because those are, those are usually communities that we talk about when we talk sure. about immigrant communities. Yeah. But everybody came out, all walks of life, and it was so wonderful to see the different allies that were stepping in this. Because I think a lot of them understand that this is not so much an attack just on Muslim. This is on American principles and American values. Okay. Gita Dagger, a refugee from Sierra Leone here in the United States. Thank you very much for being with us and telling your story on Detroit Today. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. All right. Up next, we're going to talk about how the rules have changed over who can run for office and more importantly, who can win. Stay with us on Detroit Today. Detroit Today.